Glad to see you here this morning that you made it through the rain. Good job. Please raise your hand if you'd like to borrow a Bible and follow along with us. Let us not take it for granted that we have a place to gather on Sunday morning and that everything works. Our technical crew over the past two weeks have dealt with some serious difficulties, and they have been uh, pulling it off the past two weeks with some serious problems. Uh, I appreciate Pat and his crew. They've been doing a great job. So just maybe give them a hand, like for real. Like the... Uh, parental heads up. If you have kids in here under fifth grade, that's totally fine, but it's going to be some pretty uh, hmm, serious subject matter today. You're welcome to keep them in here. Might spark some interesting conversations this afternoon, or you can take them to Children's Church. We're having up to fifth grade today, Children's Church. You're welcome to leave now to take them down there and then come back up. This past Friday night, the elders, the leaders of this church, we had a elder retreat, and we got together and prayed for revival. Specifically, we prayed a prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. He prayed that by the Spirit of God, that the church would experience the presence of Christ and the love of Christ more deeply. As uh, Timothy Keller, a pastor, has said that, When you pray for a revival, what you're asking for is an intensification of the normal operation of the Spirit. So we are crying out to God, God, revive us. Give us us a a head that, that thinks your truth, hearts that are transformed, and hands that move out in gospel love and evangelism and expressions of justice. And we are praying the same thing for you. We want God to bring gospel renewal in your lives so that you can go out and impact your world from a heart that is changed from within. Four weeks from today, we're going to have something called Prelude to Revival. It's going to be a week where we pause, pull back, spend a significant amount of time in prayer, hearing the Word of God preached, and a lot of worship. That's going to happen starting four weeks from today. We're going to say, God, only you can renew us. Do your renewing work in us. And yet what our part is is we want to pull away and cry out to God. Before we get to that, what we've been doing over the last several weeks is dealing with sins in our lives that may keep us from renewal, from revival. And we've called those the seven deadly sins. That's what they're called historically. There's nothing more deadly about these sins than other sins. All sin is deadly and separates us from God without Christ. But we're dealing with these sins that can pop up in our lives that can hinder us from growth in Christ. We've dealt with the sin of pride, envy, wrath, and sloth. And today we move on to lust, specifically sexual lust. It's a great topic as Valentine's Day is this week. And of course, (laughs) Valentine's Day, you could think, is all about love. But unfortunately, it's also about lust. So let's start off with a good definition of lust. Let me put one up for you. This comes from Jared Wilson in his book, Seven Daily Sins. He says, lust is an immoral sexual desire. It's immoral sexual desire. Let's be very clear that sexual attraction is not sin. Like, okay, I just noticed that someone is attractive. But it becomes sin and it crosses the line when it turns into an immoral sexual desire. 
one way that this could be explained as the look after the look. You know what I'm saying? So you notice someone is attractive, but rather than moving on, you start to have these roaming eyes, this mental dwelling, this fantasizing about sexual possibilities. Now, what I don't want to do this morning is just harp on how messed up we are as a culture sexually. You know that. And in fact, I don't really want to spend too much time on exploring all the details of how messed up some of you are. That's right, some of you are steeped in sexual morality, and I know you're here. It's amazing that in a church like ours, there can be people that are here today that are sleeping around outside of marriage. And some of them are even here together, shacking up together. I know that. And I know there's guys in here that are habitually into pornography. And I know there's girls that are into written pornography and the erotica books. I, I know that. Well, one thing's amazing just to think about girls and pornography is this whole Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon going on. Did you know that book uh, is, is like 65 million in print? And you know what it's doing? It is like shocking the publishing world. One writer said this. This is very fascinating what he said. He says, the secret is out. There are millions of women who will read pornography even if they have little interest in watching it. I, I get that. There's a crisis in our culture, and I get it. There's a crisis in, in, in many of, of, of your lives. And I also know that if you're a believer, you hate it. You hate that for yourself. You hate that you keep falling back into this pattern of lust and sexual morality. I know that you hate it. And so rather than bringing you here this morning and bringing the hammer, I want to bring some hope. I really want to give you real hope that there can be freedom, that there can be deliverance. And I know this because I know the Bible, but I also know it personally because that's my story. I come out from a background of sexual morality. And I've experienced freedom. And when I dealt with that, I kid you not, my growth in Christ just shot up, 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 and up. And it's, it's like personal revival took place in my life. And, and I'm going to tell you that story a little bit later. But I'm here to bring you hope that there can be freedom. Let's turn to the Bible. That's where we're going to be today, back in the book of Proverbs. We're in Proverbs 5 been jumping around, but we're back to the introductory chapters. The first nine chapters of Proverbs are introduction, and here we are in Proverbs 5. It's the father warning his son about the immoral woman. And he doesn't just warn his son, but he also tells his son to enjoy sex with his wife. Now, we're going to put that enjoyment of sex until next week. So it's, we're going to talk about lust for two weeks. But this week, we're primarily going to f- focus on the concept of how sexual folly or sexual foolishness can lead to destruction. 
and he's going to kind of walk us through that. We're going to walk through his warning that Solomon gives to his son. So let's just go ahead and jump in and get started. Verse 1 of chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. It's like it's time for the talk about the birds and the bees. And rather than just making it a one-time talk, parents, it should be an ongoing talk. Because if you ever read the book of Proverbs, he keeps bringing it up over and over again. You, just, you almost want to say, all right already, I've heard you. But that's good. Keep talking to your kids all the time about it. Because guess what? Someone's going to be talking to them about it. It better be you. And you might say, well, well, how young should I start? Early. There's a whole set of, you might think, well, I don't know what to say. Well, there's a whole set of books. Let me put up one of the books here. There's this whole series called Learning About Sex. Where do babies come from? If you notice, this is for girls aged to nine, but some of these books start around age four and go on up to their teenage years. It's called Learning About Sex Series. It's where you, at each age-appropriate time, you can teach them about sex. So you're the ones teaching them, like Solomon was teaching his children. Now, obviously, I'm not sure what book level this is here, <laughs> but it's pretty high. <laughs> That's why we have the kids in children's church. This is a, a higher book here because the, uh, the subject matter that he is talking about with his sons makes you believe that his son realizes that girls no longer have cooties. Yeah, this is like a higher level book that, that's going on here. So go back to where we're at, verse 2. He says that you may keep discretion, that's purity, and your lips may guard knowledge. So out of his lips were not to come perverted speech or enticing words. And when the offer of sexual morality comes his way, he is to say no. And he can say no, and you can say no, because his character, his heart has been transformed by the word of God. Now, the occasion for saying no is in verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Now, this forbidden woman could be a prostitute. This forbidden woman could be a woman who's married, and she's stepping out the bounds of marriage to lure in her prey. And it could be said of guys. We don't have to just talk about women luring in men. You can think about guys sweet-talking girls into sex. You can think about the pornography industry or the entertainment industry or the book industry trying to lure in the prey for these immoral sexual desires. And the son is to say no. He's to push back. And this woman, her lips are dripping with honey. It's, it's very inviting and sweet. And he may be thinking, man, if I could just kiss those lips, it'd be so sweet and, and sensuous. And this is where you've got to be careful. You see something attractive, you've got to move on. Because if you don't, you'll cross the line into immoral sexual desires, and it becomes lust. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, you know this one. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
So it becomes lust when you see an attractive person, but rather than moving on, you lock in, you fantasize. You're saying, it'd be so amazing to be with them. And so this man, perhaps he sees this woman, and he's maybe thinking, man, did you see all the honey on her lips? Maybe he's thinking, man, did you hear her voice? That was amazing. And his dad's saying, no, 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 no. Don't go there. Don't lock in on what's attracting you to this other person. Move on. Move on. Let's keep going. Verse 4. But at the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. So this guy, he was hoping for honey, but what did he get? He got wormwood. That's like a bitter plant. He was hoping to hear some smooth words, but he got cut as by a two-edged sword. Basically, what's going on when it's over and the clothes are put back on and the computer is turned off and the book is put down, there is something that does not feel quite right. And the Bible calls it bitter and cutting. Hmm. Kind of sounds like what you would feel inside of guilt and shame and emptiness and dirtiness are bitter and cutting. You thought you would feel so alive, and you did for a moment, but the after effects are bitter and cutting. And it's almost very destructive, almost kind of like death. And that's the words that are described of how this woman is, she's wandering aimlessly. She's not on the path of life. She's wandering aimlessly. And if the guy follows her, he's going to follow her to death, to Sheol, to the grave, and ultimately separation from God in hell. Christian rapper Lecrae has a song called Killa, K-I-L-L-A. Let me translate, Killer. that if you follow this path, you will be killed. There is destruction. The Bible is very clear about the destruction of sexual immorality. Watch out. The dad continues the warnings. Look at verse 7. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. So he's starting to address his sons instead of son. Perhaps he's starting to talk about all his sons, but one scholar has suggested that he doesn't think he's addressing all of his sons. He's still talking about one son, but what he's doing, check this out, he's like looking down his family line, and he's addressing his son, and he's addressing his son's son, and he's addressing his grandson's son. It's like his words are beaming out down the family line, and he's saying, don't blow up the family, one person, and their sexual morality can just blow apart a family. You you know the story of someone venturing off into foolishness and what happens. Perhaps, Perhaps divorce happens. A lot of you have felt that. Perhaps you got a lot of child custody issues, alimony issues, and sometimes sexual morality can just break out to being illegal and put someone in jail, and you know those stories. Some of you have experienced those stories. And he's saying, don't mess up the family. 
Don't blow it for everybody else because you got caught up in foolishness. Don't do that. Do you want some irony here? Do you want me to tell you something really sad? Guess who blew up Solomon's family? Solomon did. That's another story for another time. But yeah, Solomon ventured off into sexual immorality. Lots of wives, lots of concubines. Don't just teach it. Don't just preach it. Live it. By God's grace, we'll do better than Solomon. Verse 8. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says something similar. Maybe uh, you've heard it. We read it this morning. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. You think about Joseph in the Old Testament. As Potiphar's wife was coming on to him, he bolted. Flee from sexual morality. The Apostle Paul also says in Ephesians 5.3, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual morality. But what our verse does in Proverbs, if you want to look at it again, it goes even further. Look what it says in verse 8 again. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. He's like, don't even put yourself in the situation that's going to set you off. If you need to go another way around, take another route, a long detour, don't even go near her house. Don't even go near her door. Don't even place yourself in the vicinity of her location. Perhaps you have heard of the concept of gateway drugs. And this is the idea on how softer drugs can lead to harder drugs. Think about marijuana can lead to cocaine. Think along the same lines with sexual temptations. Look for those things that trigger the next step. And it's going to be different for everybody in here. What triggers the next step into sexual morality for you. You were doing just fine, and you ended up in some situation that was a gateway to something else. So uh, a guy and girl studying together late at night. Nothing sinful about studying, right? You're studying, preparing for a test. But you're studying together alone late at night. Not the best idea. Why? Gateway. For some of you, you can't go to the swimming pool or to the beach. Some of you are fine there, but there's no way. Why? It's a gateway. And you know for some of you, Facebook functions the same way. You're like, what's wrong with Facebook? Nothing's wrong with Facebook. But some of you, you know, it's a gateway to something else. We can go on and on like this. What about business lunches with the opposite sex? Nothing wrong with that, once again. But what can happen? Sometimes flirtation can happen. What? Gateway. And on and on, don't even go near those things that trigger, that set you off, that are a gateway to something more. The dad's like, just stay away altogether. You know yourself, you know your heart, you know what you're prone to, what can cause you to wonder. Don't even mess around. Your friends may go, why won't you ever go swimming with us? Just tell them, it's a gateway. 
Just leave it at that. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? It's gateway. All right. All right, keep going. Verse 9. Lest you give your honor to others in your years to the merciless. Now, in our culture, we, we don't think about honor. But back then, if you indulged in sex and morality, it was a big deal. It was scandalous. It's as if you're giving away your honor. And I know we don't get that in our culture. I, I guess the closest I can, I can think of, I, I don't know if any of you are watching Downton Abbey. Anybody? Yeah, I know some of you. All right. I'm like in the... F- just finishing up the first year, starting the second, so do not tell me anything about it, all right? It will ruin it for me. So don't, all right? But this the concept, the settings around 1912, 1914, and the, the main character, uh, Mary, uh, has been um, involved in some sexual morality, which is very scandalous. And as the rumor spreads and more and more, if it gets confirmed, that can ruin her life, just ruin her life. Because just honor is just disgraced. And you may think, well, that's not going to happen to me. It might not happen to you in the same way, but do you get this? Sexual immorality can ruin your life. Like, there's a portion of your life where you should be really firing on all cylinders. You should really be just really cranking out, really productive. But it's amazing how sexual morality and lust can just ruin things. It can ruin things at your work. It can ruin things with your family. It can ruin your work for the kingdom of God. It's like like something's just not right. You can't focus. You can't concentrate. And so you should should really just be cranking at this time in your life. It can ruin the best years of your life, and it can be merciless to you. And not only that, if you look at verse 10, it says, Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. Well, this could be a situation where the, the woman's family comes in, uh, someone outside of Israel who he committed adultery with, and they take the finances of the son through blackmail. Or maybe he keeps paying this woman off to keep her quiet while he keeps up his lifestyle. And, and maybe that will happen to you. Maybe it won't happen with you. But sexual immorality is like it. It's kind of all-consuming. And it even can take your finances. It can steal your thoughts. It can take away your best years. It can take your energies and your labor because you are consumed with sexual morality. It really just takes all of you. And you think you can indulge and you'll be fine, but it's just wiping away the best years and energies and thoughts and everything you have in your life. It's all-consuming. And if that continues throughout your life, how do you think you're going to feel when you get old? You've heard of the concept of dirty old man, right? He's just a dirty old man. Well, the dirty old man was probably a dirty young man. He was probably a dirty boy. And he just progressed through life, and now he's a dirty old man. Is that who you want to be? Just a perverted, dirty old man or a woman who's just wrecked her life with sexual morality. And that's what the father is trying to get the son to see. Look at the end of your life. Look what he says here, verse 11. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers 
or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. So what the dad's doing, it's really cool. He's like, he's given his son this hypothetical future that if he engages in sexual immorality, what he's going to look like after he commits adultery. And he's saying, son, consider the end, consider the end, consider the end. So this is a picture at the end of his life where his body is messed up. And you think, well, that must be like sexual disease. No, not necessarily disease. It's just showing how sin impacts your body. It really does. Maybe you'll never get a disease, but you'll find over the years that sin has this impacting toll that it can take on your body. And he's wasted so much of his life, and the son finally realizes there is no do-over. He's failed to listen. He's been brought to ruin. And guess what? Other people know about it as well. The assembled congregation knows about it in Israel, and they shame him. They say, we know about you. His deeds are exposed. And he's at a point in his life he never wanted to be. And he's ostracized and put out by the community. Basically, you can indulge all you want now, but there is a bigger picture. If you could get that, there is a bigger picture. If you do not understand that's a bigger picture, go spend your days in a nursing home. I spent most of my 20s in a nursing home. I was in a nursing home all the time helping taking care of my grandmother, and I saw people with serious regret in their lives. I don't know if you want to end up 70, 80, 90, and spend all those years indulging in sexual immorality. There will come a time where you look back and you'll shake your head and say, I cannot believe what I was doing. And I'm speaking to most of you who are young right now. You do not want to end up there. This is the, this is the voice of regret. There was a fascinating article in the past month in the New York Times called The Empty Whore of an Extramarital Affair. If you ever want to look that up and read it, I think you'll be very impressed. It's called The Empty Whore of an Extramarital, uh, extramarital Affair. Marital so this woman, check this out. This woman cheated on her husband, and her husband also cheated on her. And so what she writes in this article, she's reflecting on their marriage that was just, just a mess. And at the same time, she was reflecting on the marriage of her parents. Her parents are now 75 years old, and they've been married for 50 years. And they've not been a perfect 50 years. No marriage is perfect. There's been issues. There's been problems. But now her parents are 75. They push through, and they're still married. And she realizes that just for a few months of illicit pleasure, she just blew it all up. And then she ends the article by asking the question, which would you rather have? Would you rather have this few weeks, few months of fun, few years of fun, or would you rather have this long-standing, lasting marriage? And I can ask that to many of you in different areas of your life. Like, which would you rather have? Is your sexual immorality worth it? Consider the end. Consider the end. Consider the end. Well, that was such a bummer, huh? Whoa. It's all going to fall apart. It's terrible. I have some semblance of hope that this hypothetical situation in this guy's voice is not just regret, but also repentance. Maybe I hear repentance. Let me read it to you again. Look at verse 12 and 13. Let's see if we see any repentance. How I hated discipline. 
and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or climb my ear to my instructors. I'm hoping that is a voice of not just regret, but also repentance. And for those of us who believe in Jesus, you know that you can turn your regrets into repentance and it can lead to forgiveness. You know that. You know that. No matter how deep you're into sexual sin, no matter how consumed you are with lust, no matter what you've done, whether it's adultery or whatever, you know that there is forgiveness in Jesus. You, you know that. that. Jesus really died on the sin, on the cross, for my filthiness, for my perversion, for your sexual sin. You, you know that. He's placed there. God's wrath is on him because of our sin. And when we put our faith in him, we are really forgiven. We're cleansed. We're made new creations. You know that, right? And, and, I, and if you don't, I just told you again. And, and I want you to remember that. But here, check this out. You can be forgiven today. You can be changed, and you can start walking in purity. But I know some of you, you don't even want to go there because you've been there, and you've done that, and it didn't work. It's almost like, well, give me a fix. I want to fix. I want to get a quick out here. Okay, God, please forgive me, and now I'm going to move on, and now I'll be changed automatically. And so since that didn't happen, some of you don't even want to go there again. You do not want to come here. Repent and confess and ask God to change you. And then tonight, you sin sexually again. You, you don't even want to do that, right? You're like, forget it. I hear, I hear the gospel good news, but I don't even want to go there because I just know I've, I've blown it. I'm going to blow it again. Let me give you something to consider. There's this book out there called The Explicit Gospel. Uh, and he says in this book, Matt Chandler, he says, too many times we're trying to deal with our lust problems through moralism. Let me give an example. So a guy stands up and says, hey, I got a pornography problem. So here's my plan. I'm not going to look at pornography anymore. I'm going to put a filter on my computer. And I'm going to find this guy. And so if I mess up, he will punch me. And then if that doesn't work, I'm going to throw my computer away. That's my plan. And, of course, there's nothing wrong with this plan. It's, that's very wise steps, absolutely. But too many times, you're avoiding what's going on right here. You're avoiding what's going on on the inside. You're doing a lot of great action steps on the outside, but you are missing what's going on on the inside. And so Chandler mentions in his book, maybe you need to start asking yourself these kind of questions. What exactly are you medicating with those kind of sins? What are you trying to escape from or avoid? Are you really just trying to numb the pain? Are you just trying to maybe, you're trying to feel alive because other areas of your life, you don't feel alive at all. What's going on here? And the next move you've got to say is, well, how does the gospel fill those needs? Where does the gospel come in? Let's take pornography for, uh, for uh, instance. Many are into pornography, and once they go into it, it's a shaming 
event. It's a shaming thing. It's like I'm going to just keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. Because this is, I'm no better than this. This is who I am. I'm going to just keep going back to pornography. What does the gospel say? That in Jesus you're forgiven. He's not ashamed to call you his child. There is forgiveness in him. There is new creation in him. You don't need to feel shame. You can come to him for forgiveness and grace. I guess what I really want you to do, guys and girls, is to start asking what's going on on the inside. And until you do that, you're going to be doing this, this little cycle of outside changes, meet with an accountability group, tell them how bad you messed up, start to deal with some more of the outside changes, and that will just be a cycle. It will just be endless. Start asking, what is going on here? I'm telling you, that's what it took, and that's what happened when God changed me. And I'm going to share my story with you, and I am not comfortable sharing it with you. I shared this about seven years ago. I did not like sharing it with you. And now my kids are older, and they're in here. I certainly don't like sharing it now. But you need to hear this. Because I believe that some of you are in bondage and you think there is no hope. And there is hope. Listen to me. Before I got saved, I was saved in 19. Before I got saved, I was consumed. Just trying to keep it simple and clear. I was consumed with what I call the three S's. Sex with girls. The next X, uh, S was skin, pornography. And the last one was self-abuse, masturbation. So I hear the gospel at 19. While I was supposed to be a Christian counselor at a camp called Canic, I was not a Christian. I faked them out. I hear the gospel, full conviction of the Holy Spirit, that I've been living in and steeped in sexual sin. And that Jesus died to take my filthy sin. And I could be forgiven through repentance and faith. And let me tell you what I did not do. I did not ask Jesus into my heart. I'm not quite sure what that means. Maybe you mean something else by that and that's fine. But what I did, I repented of my sin and I submitted to Jesus as Lord. If that's what you mean by accepting into your heart, fine. But I submitted to him as Lord. Like, this changes everything. I am forgiven and now he's Lord. This is totally, this this changes everything. So I'm not my own anymore. He's on the throne, not me. That was the freshman year summer. And so I go back to school as a sophomore. And guess what? The three S's want to come with me. So I start living my life as a sophomore. And I think, well, I'm just going to start to indulge in in sex again with with girls. And this is going to be fine. And, And God's like, oh, no, no. That's got to go. Remember, I'm Lord. And so I had to reevaluate everything. What's a girl? 
How shall I date girls? How shall I view girls? How shall I pursue girls? What does that even look like? And some of you, you need to have a total overhaul of dating because it is messed up. So that S, it's gone. The two other S's are still there. And I thought, I can hold on to those because those don't involve people. I'm not going to hurt anybody. They're never going to, this is great. Sophomore year summer, I become a youth pastor intern at a church. And I had to travel to this church for the weekends. And, I, and, I, and, and one Saturday night, I'm staying in a hotel and I'm looking at total inappropriate material. Okay, just know that, right? Total whacked out stuff. So I go to church the next day. I stand up for my part during the service. There's a liturgical church, and I'm supposed to lead the people in prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We don't, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I'm like, our Father who art in heaven. And while I'm praying the prayer, the stuff I watched the night before is in my head. And I can't even make it to the prayer. I'm like stumbling and fumbling. And God's like saying, no, 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 no. That's got to go. You cannot stand up here and play this game. It's got to go. And I mean, I, I thought to myself, I never want to feel that ever again. So it's gone. No joke. Gone. But the third S of fantasy was just still hanging around, just plaguing me, messing with me. I was crying out to God, and someone gave me a book that had to do nothing with nothing with what I was dealing with. And I'm going to show you this exact book that was given to me. It's this book. It's interesting. Written 25 years ago. It's called Inside Out by Dr. Larry Crabb. It says, real change is possible if you're willing to start from the inside out. As I started reading this book, coming across stuff, I was shocked. It was saying stuff in there that I wasn't even thinking about. It was asking me, like, what, where do you find satisfaction? What are your deep longings? What, what's, what's going on? How, where are you dealing with your problems? It's it just really getting in the heart. And, I, and it came to reveal to me that Jesus fulfills all my longings he fulfills all my joys in him. Everything is fully met. And as I started reading to this book, then I finally came across this one part that reminded me of my conversion of Jesus being Lord. And the question that was blared right at me was this. Are you more interested in pleasing yourself or me? That's what God said to me. I mean, I didn't hear it. I felt it. I read it. He said, are you more interested in pleasing yourself or or me. And I just was broken. And you may think I'm making stuff up. Obviously, you can see the progression here. God brought freedom. He brought deliverance. He brought, I'll just, I mean, I've never grown so much in my life. It was like personal revival over the next few months. I just could not believe. doesn't mean I've never been tempted since then. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm telling you, there is real deliverance through the power of Jesus when we start dealing with what's going on on the inside. And so I'm going to ask you this question, and I hope it stays with you. Are you more interested in pleasing yourself 
or God. For real, what's going on? You can have your longings fulfilled in Christ. You can have your hurts healed in Christ. You can have your sufficiency in Christ. And your brothers and sisters can come along and encourage you and love you, but it's not going to happen until you start dealing with what is going on here and how you can be changed and God can be real to you and you can find real deliverance. Now, I, I know what we normally do, we go into prayer, and I know some of you, you don't even know what to pray. And that's fine. We've actually picked some songs for you to pray as you sing them that let that be your heart. We're going we're gonna to sing one song that, 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 that's called Only You. It says, you know what? Take everything, God. Take my junk, my issues. I just want you. And then we're going to sing a song that's it's a, hopefully your desire for restoration called White as Snow. Like, God, just make me new. And then we're going to move into what joy is found. Because really, where is ultimate joy really found? It is found in Jesus. So if you don't have words, sing the songs. And may God do a work on you. So let's go to a time of prayer right now. Let's pray. Father, I pray and I ask for my brothers and sisters who are, are stuck or have been stuck in bondage for a long time. They would see there is forgiveness, there is freedom, there is grace, there is deliverance, there is amazing amount of uh, intimacy with you and fellowship that awaits them at the cross. Let them know that no matter what they have done, they can be forgiven and they can be free. And I know some of them are just struggling with unbelief right now, not thinking they can be free, that they're totally, this is who they are, they're in shame, this is where they're going to go, that they're determined. Lord, show them that is not the truth, that is not their identity. They are forgiven in Christ. Show them, God, that significant things can happen in their lives. Even if they don't know the next step after this morning, they don't know where they're to go next, just show them, as we're singing these songs, show them where you want them to go. Who do you want them to talk to? Who, who can be in their lives? Who can help them deal with heart issues? Who can help them deal with these lust issues? Lord, minister to them by the power of your Holy Spirit. And may this be the day that is marked down in some of their lives where a change started to happen. And when they walk into that change progressively, and they're being sanctified by you. So, Lord, hear these prayers right now as we start to sing. Lord, hear the prayers and respond to your people.